In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, there were the sons of Issachar, and it's this section of genealogy. But what's said of the sons of Issachar in this passing phrase, it said, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Isn't that interesting? They understood the times and they knew what Israel was to do. Do we have understanding of the times? Are we able to discern the signs of the second coming of of Jesus? Also, we're told in Hebrews chapter 10, as we see the day approaching, referring to the second coming of Christ, that we're to not forsake gathering together as believers, that we're to exhort one another daily. So we should be able to discern the signs and know that we're getting closer to the second coming of, of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Paul's at the very end of his life, and he says, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, and there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. But he goes on to say, not only for me, but all those who love his appearing. So God wants us in that place of of loving and longing and looking for his appearing. If you remember from this weekend, Jesus exhorted us to be living in a place of continual readiness. If you knew the hour that a thief was going to come, you'd be ready. And to be ready for Christ to return. And in this section of chapter 12, verse 54 through verse 56, he talks about being able to look to the heavens, look to the sky, and be able to discern the weather. How did you do at discerning the weather today? Did you anticipate the cold? I was looking at the forecast and I was like, ah, it really doesn't look that cold. So I didn't wear my coat today when I came uh, to church, but that wind and that storm, it just came in and it caught me unaware, caught me off guard, isn't it? It's a cold evening here in, in the springs. So we try to pay attention to the weather and you try to discern the weather. And Jesus speaks to this group, this generation, saying, you're a hypocrite because you pay attention to the signs for weather, but you didn't discern this time. And he's talking about his coming and the prophecies from the Old Testament leading up to Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. But we also know the second coming of Jesus, that Christ is going to return. And are we paying attention to the signs that are being given? We don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but we can know the season. We can see the signs that we're getting closer to the second coming of of Jesus Christ. Jesus referred it to like birth. Moms, you know, birth ramps up, doesn't it? Dads, you know, as you've watched your wives go through that process, it, it gets more and more intense leading up to the birth of a child. And these are birth pains. These signs get more and more intense leading up to the second coming of, of Jesus Christ. If you're driving north to, to Denver, the closer you get to Denver, the more signs you're, you're going to see, the more road signs. You're 60 miles out, you're 40 miles out, you're, you're 30 miles out, the closer we get to the second coming of, of Jesus Christ. Before we get into looking at a few of these specific signs tonight and our response to it, I think that we need to decipher between the rapture of the church and the second coming of, of Jesus. The rapture of the church is what? It's when Jesus calls us home as believers and the dead in Christ rise first. So at that moment, 
Those that have died who are already buried in Christ will rise, receive their glorified bodies, and those who are alive in Christ will be caught up, will meet in the air. Like, woo, you know? And will forever be with the Lord. So then that provokes the question, well, what happens to a believer when they die? We know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but we don't receive our glorified bodies till the rapture of the church. But time is completely different in heaven, so I don't think you're up in heaven going, this is weird, I don't have my body, right? It's probably much more like a, an eternal now. God's going to be able to, to work that out. The second coming of Jesus is when Christ returns on the Mount of Olives as the book of Zechariah has prophesied. And the Mount of Olives splits in two. And Christ rules and reigns right here on the earth. Revelation lets us know that that's a thousand year period. After that thousand year period, there's the great white throne judgment. And this world is burned up with a fervent heat that Peter uh, describes. So it's important to understand the rapture of the church and the second coming of, of Jesus Christ and these signs leading up to the end. Where we're going to begin is Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus gives us some signs leading up to his coming. We'll start in verse 1. Matthew 24, verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Herod had remodeled the temple to the point where it's referred to as the third temple because it was such a massive remodel. The disciples are impressed and want to show it to Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus is predicting the destruction of the temple that happened shortly after. In verse 30, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, from the Mount of Olives you look down onto the Temple Mount. It's absolutely beautiful. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, what will, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? In their minds, if the temple was going to be destroyed, it had to be the end of the age. So their question is, well, when is going to be the end of the age? What's the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus lists several. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceive you. Notice who he's talking to. He's talking to disciples. He's talking to Christ followers that we do need to be on guard against deception. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So the first sign is deception. Counterfeit Jesus. Many will come saying, I am the Christ. And there's a tremendous amount of spiritual deception, isn't there? And it's wrapped in Christian coding, isn't it? Christian words, Christian terms. For a lie to be believable, surround it with some truth. How much lie does it take to get you off course? If it's 90% true and 10% false, man, that 10% false has huge ramifications. Just try it with your chocolate chip cookies. You get 90% of the recipe right. You know, you, 
Ever grab the wrong thing and, and put it in? The other day I was making oatmeal for Eileen and Wyatt, and I like making it with cinnamon, but I dumped a bunch of cumin in there instead of cinnamon. Like we have these big things of spices, and I grabbed the cumin, and before Wyatt even ate it, he's like, this does not smell right. Well, I, I got the majority of the recipe right, right? So spiritual deception, that as that continues to, to ramp up, that's a sign leading up to the second coming of Christ. In verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So another sign of the second coming of the end is going to be an escalation of wars. And we're, we're seeing that uh, take place. More and more wars uh, breaking out. And Jesus says, don't be surprised by this. This is going to take place before the end comes. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. So first sign is deception. Second sign is wars. The third sign is pestilence, devastation, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. I was reading today the cause of egg prices go up, and apparently it's the chicken flu, that the chickens have gotten this virus, and it's killing all of these, these chickens. And of the 53 million chickens that have died in America, 48 million of them are egg layers, and we're feeling the prices in the grocery stores, right? It's kind of weird. Something you're so accustomed to being able to get an egg. Sometimes you go to the store now and you're like, man, I can't, I can't get an, an egg. Or if I can get an egg, it's costing me way too much money. It's now the golden egg, right? So just from last November, the price of eggs has more than, than doubled. That fits in this, this category. You know, we're, we're seeing our world come unraveled with all different kinds of famines and pestilences. Earthquakes is something that is trackable. We've got good research now. Are earthquakes happening with greater rapidity? And the answer is yes. And the Bible says that there will be earthquakes in various places. And these are all part of the signs. And these are the beginning of the sorrows. This is just the, the beginning leading up to, to the end. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Another sign leading up to the end is that believers will be hated. They're going to deliver you up to persecution. And notice it's this hatred by all nations. As we get closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ, it's not just one culture, one block, one community, one group that's hard-hearted towards Jesus. It's the world that's hard-hearted towards Jesus and hates all Christians. The, the world coming against Christ. And I do think we're seeing the, the beginnings of this, of, of just how unpopular Christ is, not only by the American culture, but by the world. And Jesus says this is, is going to take place. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Did you notice this? As lawlessness is not held in check, then the love of many grows cold. 
I think we're also seeing this take place as, as lawlessness is abounding. More and more, we're adopting this idea as a culture that it's unjust to hold people accountable for their lawlessness. But when you read Romans 13, the purpose of government, that's a good thing to examine, especially in a democracy where we get to vote for who we want to elect, is, well, what in the world is the purpose for government? You know, is, is government supposed to be the ones that are deciding if chickens are supposed to be caged or not? Not according to the scriptures. Romans 13 tells us the purpose of government is to hold evil in check. That God's raised up government for that task to hold evil accountable. And so when governments stop holding evil accountable and there's lawlessness that takes place in a society and a culture, then people's hearts get hard. People's hearts get calloused and the love of many will grow cold. Unfortunately, I see, think we're seeing that take place. People's hearts are are growing cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Another sign, and this is a positive sign, and I think this represents the heart of God, is as we get closer to the end, there's going to be an explosion of the gospel. Remember, we read this weekend in Second Peter that Peter said, God's not going to be slack concerning his promise. There is a final judgment that's coming, but God doesn't want any to perish. So what's God's desire? That nobody goes to hell. So as we get closer to the end of when Christ returns, God's heart is to see many, many people come to know Christ as their Savior. All is not lost in the midst of these signs. I think that there's possibility for, for many, many, many people to come to know Jesus as there's uncertainty in the world. It's a great, great time for the gospel. And we are seeing the gospel go out to the nations like on any other in any generation. God's using the internet to give accessibility to unreached people groups to the gospel. I was thinking about going on the mission field right after school ministry to a place called Vanuatu in the South Pacific and had an opportunity to go said yes and ended up changing my mind and saying no. But I think it was the late 90s at that time. To go to Vanuatu was like no contact with your family at all, right? Because write a letter, maybe it'll get to the United States. Maybe you'd hear back. And that was kind of a sobering thought as a 19-year-old. Like, am I going to go to this place I can hardly pronounce and have no contact with my family? There's really no place in the world that you can go today where you can't have contact with your family. It's pretty cool. I, I can text Kent Nolly, who's serving in Gulu, Uganda, and bink, I get a response right back. If the time delay lines up. Otherwise, I just woke him up, right? Or hopefully he turns his phone on, on silent at, at night. But it's amazing, all of these remote places of the world, they've got, are starting to and have access to the internet and are having a curiosity about Christ. And there's a lot of wicked and evil with the internet, but one of the great things is the gospel is getting out to the people of, of the world. Let's look at a few more signs in, in other places of scripture. A big one is the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 37. Israel becoming a nation again. 
It really begins in chapter 36, if you want to read more. The renewal of Israel, God blessing the nation of Israel. And so many of end-time prophecies have to do with the nation of Israel. Prophecy in general is targeted around the nation of Israel. If you're not familiar with Israel's history, is they became a nation again in May of 1948. And as far as I know, they're the only group of people that have lost their homeland, that did not lose their culture, lose their language, and have come back as a nation. It's supernatural. This is a recent prophecy. 1948 was not too long ago. It's been fulfilled. You can hop on a plane and fly to Tel Aviv and you're in Israel. God has fulfilled his promise to give the land back to the children of Israel. So this is Ezekiel verse 37. Then the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered and said, O Lord God, you know. These bones, they, they speak of Israel. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And a lot of really goofy songs have come out of that verse over the years of speaking to the dry bones. And you're, if you don't know this section of scripture, you're like, I don't get it. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. You know, and you're just like, okay, are we at a barbecue or a church service? I'm not sure. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and settling and rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. So that, that'd be kind of creepy. They kind of come all together, but there's no life in them. And he said to me, prophesy to them, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds or breath and breath on these slain, that they may live. The, the four winds, speaking of the four corners of the earth, God bringing Israel back into the land. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So we know exactly what these bones are in reference to. It's to the house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry. Our hope is lost and we ourselves are, are cut off. And this prophecy, Ezekiel 37, has two fulfillments. When Israel was brought back into the land after their captivity, when they were taken into captivity in 586, but also as they lost the land in modern history and became a nation again in May of 1948. They indeed say our bones are dry 
Our hope is lost and we ourselves are cut off. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from the graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and proclaimed it, says the Lord. And chapter 36 of Ezekiel talks about the prosperity that Israel would possess. And it's amazing when you go to Israel, the prosperity that you're experiencing. If you fast forward to Ezekiel 38 and you study Ezekiel 38, Gog and Magog, which is modern day Russia, at one point will look at Israel and go, we're coming to get your spoil. You have so much that we're coming to receive and take from the blessings, and that's when God intervenes. When you look at Israel, it's supernatural, God's hand of blessing. Israel is so small. It's not a lot of land. I mean, you could, you could easily cruise through it in, in two days and see it from north to south, east to west, but yet God has blessed it. And how is that? It's not because they've earned it, they've deserved it. It's God's grace that's given to them. But it is one of the signs ultimately leading up to the rapture and the second coming because so much in Revelation hinges on Israel being a nation. Let's try to think back. Let's say we were a believer in the early 40s. We were a believer in the 20s and Israel wasn't a nation. And you're studying these prophecies about Israel being a nation. And it's happened. It's taken place. It's been, it's been fulfilled. Let's look at two more from the book of Revelations, and then we'll, we'll seek some application. If you would turn with me to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, and we'll look at the first six verses. The next sign is there will be a future temple that will be rebuilt. Revelation 11, verse 1. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. So John in this vision is seeing a vision of the future temple, and he's told to measure it. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it's been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So as he's told to measure the temple, he's not to measure the outer court because it's given to the Gentiles. Now this has caused a, a lot of controversy and thought, just this verse in Revelation 11, because the Dome of the Rock is the Temple Mount. And the Dome of the Rock is this holy place for the Muslims. There's a mosque there. But we know historically that this is also the place where the temple was built even prior to the Dome of the Rock. And there's some that think that the Dome of the Rock sits here and the actual Holy of Holies of the Temple is a little bit further over on the Temple Mount and that the Court of the Gentiles is actually the Dome of the Rock and the Temple and the Dome of the Rock could be built right next to each other. 
And so the reason God says don't measure the outer court is because the Dome of the Rock sits there and it's the court of the Gentiles. We don't know that. God can easily solve this problem with the Dome of the Rock and allow the temple to be rebuilt. At some point, it's going to be rebuilt. And it's going to be one of those amazing signs that will be fulfilled leading up uh, to, to the end. We know the Antichrist will come into this temple and desecrate it. So without this temple being built, the book of Revelations can't be fulfilled. So all I can say is keep your eye on the Temple Mount. <laughs> it's probably the most disputed area of real estate in the world. As you're following what's going on in Israel, Israel actually just reformed a new government. I'm not completely sure how they were able to do that, but through their parliament and everything, they restructured their government. So Benjamin Netanyahu could become prime, prime minister again. So he, just this week, he stepped back in as the, the prime minister. He's their longest serving uh, prime, prime minister. And the way that he was able to come back to power was through a group of Orthodox Jews. The Orthodox community in Israel has actually been growing. Do the math, they're the ones having families. Where the rest of the Jews are pretty secular and they're atheist. They're not getting married. They're not having kids. And so their party is not growing, but the Orthodox party is growing very quickly just from the amount of kids that they're having. So part of the Orthodox party is a group called Jewish Power. And they're a political group that has a heart to see the citizens of Israel protected. But one of the things they're really passionate about is Jews being able to pray on the Temple Mount. And so Benjamin Netanyahu and this group are saying, we're going to push forward to try to have Jews be able to, to pray on the Temple Mount. Now, if they push for that, there's absolutely going to be conflict. The, the Muslim world is not going to accept that. And so I don't know how all that's going to turn out. I don't know if Netanyahu will really go in that uh, direction. But keep your eye on the Temple Mount because there eventually will be a temple that's built there and God will, will solve that problem. In verse 3, And I will give power to my witness, two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So God sends two witnesses to testify during this time of the tribulation. These are two olive trees and two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut down heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And as you continue to read in chapter 11, these two witnesses are killed and left in the streets. And we jump down to verse 9. Then, these, then those from the people's tribes and tongues will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into the graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, making merry, sending gifts to one another, because the two prophets are tormented, those who dwell on the earth. Amazon runs a sale. The two prophets are killed. Everything's 25% off. And the world starts giving each other Christmas gifts. They're, they're sending each other gifts in celebration 
that the two witnesses are, are killed. But notice in verse 9, it says, then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nation will see their bodies. And then in verse 11, it talks about these two witnesses being resurrected and the world is witnessing this take place. And I believe that we have seen the technology to see this prophecy fulfilled. It is not in any way a stretch of the imagination for these two prophets to be killed, to be raised up, and for the world to see it because the world's watching on phones, the world's watching on, on live streams in a way that prior generations would go, how in the world could all of the nations of the world see this event take place? Well, well now that technology it exists. So signs leading up to the second coming of Jesus, there will be a, a future temple that's built. The world will be able to witness what's taking place with these two prophets. The last sign that we're going to cover uh, tonight is in chapter 13. If you'll turn with me over to chapter 13. We'll pick up in verse 11. And it's the mark of the beast. It's the, the mark that the Antichrist gives to, to those that are showing their allegiance to him. This is verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and like a dragon. So here he is, lamb-like, which is Christ-like, but in reality he's a dragon. And he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performed great signs so that even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The beast being the Antichrist, if you don't worship this image to the Antichrist, you're killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast, of the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. What I want to focus tonight, there's a lot in here, but what I want to focus on tonight is that no one can buy or sell except they have this mark of the beast. And this mark of the beast is allegiance to the Antichrist. And this is a sign leading up to the end of Christ's coming. And I think we're closer to this than we've ever been in our lifetime. And I think we've seen it unfold on the last two and a half, three years. What I'm seeing more and more in culture and society is if you don't line up with the status quo opinion, then you are canceled even to the point where you can't buy or sell. And what we're seeing is that the internet 
is largely unregulated. And with that, you have private companies that own websites that get to decide what's on their website. So things like Facebook and Twitter and all of this social media, if you don't express the opinions of the owners of those social media platforms, guess what? You can't be on their platform. There's even banks that have said, hey, you can't bank with us because of your positions on pro-life. You may or may not be familiar with Nick Wojcik. He's been here to RMC a couple of times. He was born with no arms, no legs. Look him up. He's got a powerful testimony, and he speaks very powerfully on life, saying, look, my life, there would be some that would say, I don't deserve to live, but God has given me the ability to live. My parents cho chose life. And his bank actually canceled him altogether because of his teaching on being pro-life. It's not too far of a stretch of the imagination to where when you believe in Christ, you hold to the scriptures, you believe in biblical sexuality, you believe in pro-life, all of a sudden you can't buy or sell on this platform because it doesn't line up with their view. It doesn't line up with the status quo view. And there's a lot of other things in this that we see the ability for it to take place, you know, for money to, to be exchanged and to be uh, controlled. But what I want to point out more tonight is just the mindset, the mindset of culture to say, look, if, if you have a differing opinion, then we're going to try to cancel you altogether. And I think that's a heartbreak for the United States of America, don't you? Because freedom of speech is we don't all agree, but you should be able to express your opinion and to be able to rationally talk about it. I don't expect everybody to adopt a Christian worldview. They get to choose for themselves. You know, you, you get to decide whether you want to trust Christ or, or reject Christ. But I'd sure like to be able to talk about it without being canceled or going to prison or having my bank account closed down and th those, those type of things. But when it comes to this point, it's going to be such an allegiance to the Antichrist and such a hatred for Jesus Christ that anybody who doesn't take the mark is giving their allegiance to Christ and then they're not able to, to buy or sell. And you're saying, is there any good news in this? Yes, there is. And the good news is, read the rest of Revelation. Because Christ comes, he returns, he sets up his kingdom, he ushers us into eternity. And Jesus wants us not to be in a place of fear, where we're fearing these things, but a, a place of excitement. Now, we talked about the differing views on Sunday or Saturday. If you missed it, go back and listen to the teaching of the timing of the rapture. I personally think the rapture will take place before these events in the book of Revelation. But honestly, only the Lord knows how all that's going to unfold. It's not something that we need to divide over. But we hear the heart of Jesus, don't we, in Luke chapter 12, that it's very clear that Jesus wants us waiting and watching for his return. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? Do you believe Jesus is going to make this mess right? <laughs> and so for us to say, instead of being discouraged, I am going to be encouraged, encouraged. 
You know, have you ever had this thought? Maybe this is a wrong thought. Maybe a moment of transparency and confession. When you, you, you see a, a kid misbehaving where you're like, man, somebody needs to discipline that kid, right? You ever thought that or is that just me, right? Have you started to look at culture and society and go, somebody's got to discipline that kid? You know, like culture and society has gotten so far, far from God that ultimately it does demand God's justice. And that's a sobering thing because when God's justice comes, it is severe. And so for us to say, man, it's so important. Time is short. My life's short. Your life is, is short. Time in general is short. So let's love people and point them to Christ because for them to trust Christ as their Savior, Jesus pays the price for their sin instead of having to receive God's judgment. And that leads me to the application of, of Romans 13. Turn with me to, to Romans 13, the end of Romans 13. And Paul instructs us on how to, to respond. Romans 13, verse 11. And do this, knowing the time, that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So Paul says, knowing time, discerning the time, not just looking for what the weather's going to be, but looking at these signs, being like the sons of Ishakar, understanding the times, knowing the time, and now is the high time for us to wake out of our sleep because our salvation draws near. There's a condition that we can be in as believers where we're spiritually asleep. We're not lost. We're not going to hell. We're the child of God, but we're asleep. We're not awake spiritually. We're not alive to Christ and dead to this world. We're not once serving him. And if Satan can't get us to deny our faith, he'd love for us to just be asleep. And isn't it easy just to kind of get lulled to sleep spiritually? Whether it's all the comforts that we have here in America, or it's getting calloused, a lot of different reasons, but we're just, we're just asleep spiritually. And Paul says, wake up, because your salvation, it draws near. The night is far, far spent, the day is at hand, Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and in drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. In paraphrase, what's Paul saying? Live for Jesus. He's saying be close to Jesus. Put on Jesus don't make any provision for the flesh. That, that's our response to understanding the times, understanding the signs, is not to live in fear, not to be in a place of anxiety, but to be in a place of saying, Jesus, I need you. I'm drawing near from, to you. I don't want to feed my sin. I don't want to feed flesh. I want to feed my spirit. And Lord, would you use me in these times? Would you use me in these difficult times? We have the benefit of looking back on the pages of scripture and it was a dark time in Israel when God raised up Elijah. It was a dark time in Egypt when God raised up Joseph. 
It was a dark time in Babylon when God raised up Daniel. It was a dark time in the Valley of Elah when God raised up David. It was a dark time in Rome when God raised up the Apostle Paul. And in darkness, the light shines all the brighter. And that's God's heart. We're living right now for such a time as this to say, Lord, I want to be looking for your soon return. I want to be living for you. And I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. Don't get caught up in some weird teaching based on the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you find yourself going down a rabbit troll with the second coming of Jesus Christ that leads you to unfaithfulness, that's the wrong application. Because Jesus is saying, I'm coming, watch, and be faithful. When I come back, be found being faithful. So I'm going to encourage you tonight. Jesus is coming back. It could be in our lifetime. We could experience the rapture of the church. It may not be in our lifetime. But either way, we need to be living in a place where we're loving his appearing. It seems like a pretty easy crown to receive by God's grace. All you got to do to receive this special crown of reward is love his appearing, right? Do you love Jesus appearing? Are you looking for his appearing? That means so much to Jesus that he's like, hey, here's a special crown for you. You're like, why do I care about a crown in heaven? Because we get to lay those crowns down at the feet of Jesus, don't we? It means something to Christ when we don't put our hope and expectation in this world, but we look for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let, let's stand together and let's pray. Jesus, we don't know how all this is going to turn out, but we do know that you're going to return, that you're going to rapture your church, that you're going to land again onto the Mount of Olives, descend the Mount of Olives is going to split in two. And may your coming be real in our hearts. And may you wake us up spiritually. Wake us up to you, Jesus. Where we've fallen asleep, would you wake us up? We don't want to be afraid, but be in a place where we're watching in faithfulness for your return. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.